today on Ag News Daily. We said this is different. We sensed this backsliding starting. And then we compared our notes with other teams. So there was distinctly uh, a change uh, of views uh, by our friends in China. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here coming to you today, coming out of the Rapid City Regional Airport, getting ready to board a flight and head for Denver. Wrapped up a fantastic conversation earlier this morning with a group of ag lenders out of Wyoming. I tell you what, ag is facing challenges across the spectrum, and they were no different. Two fairly heavy snowstorms in March and April, the prime calving season, definitely put a damper on grower spirits, but they're right back out there. They're still plugging away, so we're going to try to get some good news out there to all of you who are listening. Hopefully, fingers crossed, maybe while you're getting some corn or some soybeans in the ground there in the corn belt. Did see a text from a friend of mine. They were running up in Iowa. Got to imagine when I get back to the state, we'll see a lot of farmers rocking and rolling because there is still that chance of rain in the forecast. And uh, more rain, more moisture. Just the story of this spring. Well, we've got a release here from New York. Reuters obtained documents that talk about how uh, the Trump administration, the EPA, made it easier for oil refineries to get waivers at least four months before the 27, 2017 rather court decision um, that it has been using to justify the, uh, the moves. So this was uh, apparently a desire motivated by the EPA to help the oil refineries save money. And um, EPA told Congress its hands were tied and blamed the courts. That appears to have been a lie. EPA also said it was following Department of Energy recommendations, and we know that's bunk. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. End quote. That is our uh, Iowa senior Senator Chuck Grassley um, basically continues to be frustrated at the small, the SREs, the small refinery exemptions that were issued in uh, 2000 and. 17-2018 to small refiners like ExxonMobil, Chevron, and uh, Carl Icahn's company uh, that basically uh, diminished demand for ethanol uh, substantially. And um, so this does not mean, this release does not mean anything necessarily. Uh, it's not legally going to require them to, to roll these mandates back into the RFS, but it is definitely a black eye for the EPA that has been struggling to rebuild its reputation, um, you know, in over the past year. And uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Will this be enough motivation to really spark the EPA to get their, their June approval for year-round E15 done? I, I don't know, but it should. I mean, this certainly seems now that this was a pretty obvious sop to the oil companies, so we'll have to see how this ends up affecting uh, policy looking ahead through 2019. You know, I know we've got some of our uh, millennial listeners out there. There's a lot of concern that if we were to close the border with Mexico, that we would lose our supply of avocados. America only produces about a three-week supply of avocados, or at least that's uh, what we have in stock. And uh, Mexico is, of course, where the rest of them come from. Well, trade disputes can create opportunities. What we've seen happen since the uh, the border closing threat with Mexico was issued here two months ago, 
Vietnam is trying to get into the avocado export business. Um, they said uh, today that after the the border shutting potential um, could disrupt the avocado market, the Vietnamese are ready to step in. Prices are up nearly 50% in April on fears that uh, we could see shipments stop from Mexico. And um, this blows my mind. The U.S. imports 900,000 tons of Mexican avocados every year worth $2.1 billion. That is a huge number. That's a lot of guac out there for your chips. Um, and it could be this if Vietnam is approved and if they do start exporting, if the border war with Mexico should actually take place, um, this could be a huge boon for for Vietnam's export business. We've talked quite a bit about the rising middle class income over there in, in Vietnam and in South Korea, and this could be one thing that continues to put dollars in those consumer pockets. Consumers, who over the past two years have really stepped up purchases of U.S. pork and beef, trying to get their hands on that high quality protein. So, we'll see, time will tell, but the border squabble has created an opportunity for Vietnam, just as the tariff squabble with China has created a phenomenal opportunity for Brazil. Will these countries be able to maintain or at least open up their markets? I guess time will tell. So yesterday, talked a little bit about the $2 billion lawsuit settlement that was awarded to the couple in California um, after a jury believed that the use of Roundup had caused their cancer. Uh, Bayer, their shares were down 5% yesterday on the news, or, or two days ago, rather, on the news. Um, they have launched an appeal, and they are confident, they say, that their appeals of both yesterday, both Monday's ruling and of the, uh, the ongoing appeal from the first case, uh, Dwayne Johnson's here back at the tail end of 2018, are going to be successful. A uh, senior executive said uh, said they are positive. Um, they say the appeals. Here's the here's what they say. Let me get this right. The appeals of jury rulings against the chemical will be heard by judges, not by jury. So that's a factor that he thinks is going to be favorable to uh, to Bayer's chances. And one of the things that they are appealing in this most recent case is the judge in California didn't allow the jury to hear that the EPA had recently found glyphosate to be not a cancer-causing agent. Um, that evidence was, I, I don't think suppressed is the right word, but it was not allowed into court. And uh, Bayer believes that was a, a miscarriage, and they want to get this thing appealed. So, appeal it they shall. So, I've got one other story, and it's uh, kind of convoluted today, but uh, we do have a new immigration proposal put forward by the Trump administration. Uh, basically, they want to overhaul the way immigrants are approved and allowed into the country rather than now using familial ties to bring family members over and so forth. President Trump wants to focus more on merit and uh, his proposed system would favor young, educated, English-speaking applicants with job offers instead of people with family ties to Americans. Uh, Reuters notes that this is a plan that has very little chance of succeeding in Congress. Um, 
but he's throwing this out there, trying to bring together Republicans um, who have been pretty well split on immigration. There are the, the hardcore restrictionists who want to see immigration total cut, and then there are those who kind of the, the not open borders, but they want to see more immigration, more legal immigration allowed into the country. And so Donald Trump's plan is designed to give them something both sides of that issue can rally around ahead of 2020. Uh, President Trump had a, had a meeting in the Rose Garden, and he said, quote, if for some reason, possibly political, we can't get the Democrats to approve this merit-based high-security plan, then we'll get it approved immediately after the election when we take back the House, keep the Senate, and, of course, hold the presidency, end quote. Gotta love his confidence. I mean, that is, he's owning it right there. Uh, let's see. That is all I've got for news. Really, the only other news story that's out there continues to be delayed plantings, which continues to push the markets higher. Had a conversation, of course, for listeners that caught it with Angie Setzer on Monday, and uh, Angie was tweeting yesterday. She said, if you want to know what a weather market, how a weather market functions, Google up the cliffhangers game from The Price is Right. And she is exactly right. One of these days... That corn's going to get in the ground, those beans are going to get planted, and we're going to see the market take its ball and go home. So, sell when you can, not when you have to, I think is the moral of the story, to quote the great Tommy Grazafi. Well, let's take a look here. Our markets, of course, are brought to us by our great friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can get in touch with our friends at Zaner anytime. Utilize them to put a marketing plan in place to manage some of this financial risk that exists on every farm operation. Give them a shout at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Big gains today in corn and in soybeans. Looking at the corn contracts, July was up nine and a half cents at 379 even. September up eight and three quarters to close at eight, excuse me, whoa, 387 even. In soybeans, the July was up four and a quarter at 839 and three quarters. November new crop up five cents, finished at 864 and three quarters. In Chicago wheat, July 18 and a quarter cents higher on the day, finished at 467 even. That September contract was up 17 and a quarter, wrapping up the day at 473 and a half. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we actually saw some green. Both live cattle and feeders and hogs all caught a bid today, finally. June live cattle up 80 cents at 110.47.50. The August up 97.5 at 107.95. In feeders, that August contract up $1.05 at 143.32.5. September up a dollar even, closed at 144.22.5. And in lean hogs, the June was up 40 cents at 92.22.50. The July up 47.50 to close at 92.440. Excuse me. And in dairy. Does the green continue? Eh, mixed trade in the dairy market today. Class 3 milk may up 3 cents at 1630, with the June down a penny to wrap at 1623. Without further ado, let's jump in to today's conversation. Very quickly, out of respect for time, I think most of you know, but in case you didn't, I'm very honored that this is the first uh, uh, undersecretary dedicated solely to trade and foreign agricultural affairs, and I hope that we're honoring the vision of so many people that wanted this by a being more nimble being out there a great deal meaning around the world and uh, and and always being vigilant trying to open up trade I don't know what the last count is I think we're at 350,000 miles or so on my million mile trek that was the goal set by Secretary Purdue 
We've been to, gosh, 15 to 17 countries now, and we'll rack up several more by the end of the year. It is not by chance that more of those than not are newer countries that we know but may not have known, like perhaps uh, we have our larger trading partners, and that is by design. And I think we are making headway, albeit uh, slowly. Just to open some comments, no doubt uh, China is probably on your mind. And uh, I think you know, or if you've read, we are in the middle of developing some sort of a, uh, a, a mitigation program, a different mitigation program. And uh, I do think that's going to come uh, far sooner than perhaps uh, you know, some of the lay press reported. We're working very diligently, all of us. This is an all-hands-on-deck kind of thing at the President and Secretary Purdue's request so that we can give immediate relief, uh, well, immediate and long-term, there's some market development in there too, for our, um, for our farmers and, and ranchers. It is unfortunate uh, that, uh, that the disagreement was, was realized with China. It's probably not surprising. Um, I will tell you that discussions on ag had gone well. We were pleased, but uh, I'll never forget we were on a digital video conference and I looked at Mr. Dowd and he looked at me and we said this is different and we sensed this backsliding starting. And then we compared our notes with other teams. So there was distinctly uh, a change uh, of views uh, by our friends in China. But that doesn't mean we're mad at them. We do believe, we still believe, I am still optimistic that we're going to get there. And I read that the president, well, he committed, I think, that he'll be visiting with President Xi Jinping on the margins of the G20. And that's a good thing. If you're still talking, it's a good thing. So I'm optimistic because I think China really does need the U.S. And certainly uh, we need and want them. So we're working through these things, but I think I think I still am optimistic that we will get there. In the meantime, we're focusing on all other things. I think you'll hear more from Greg Dowd about Japan, but that is a high, high priority. Uh, USMCA is a very high priority. I would say both the administration, but mostly our customers, farmers, ranchers, processors, are out working on uh, members of Congress to share the truth about USMCA, it is a good deal. We do have more dairy access. We did get wheat straightened out. British Columbia, we're now looking at cage-free wines. Can you imagine that? So, uh, so I think that is very good. And I encourage you to not forget that I think the greatest value of USMCA is the brand new chapter on the biosciences. That does not exist in any other trade relationship. It's, it's probably not as easy as a cut and paste into other agreements, but when you've got the language and it's good and solid, it is a great place to start from. Do not forget the sanitary, phytosanitary chapters. Around the world, and I've seen this in almost, not quite, but almost every country I've been to, the sanitary, phytosanitary language, or lack thereof, is the soft underbelly where we can get the shaft. I'm very proud of how, now we may not be perfect, but we are still a fairly free and open and market-oriented country. If you prove the product that you want to ship here is safe and effective and it passes muster, and it's not an easy process with our friends at APHIS or in the case of meats and poultry with FSIS, generally it comes in. And it is categorically not the same in return. 
So the cause is just in terms of our travels and our trying to straighten out this trade because it is, it, it is categorically unfair. And a great deal of that soft underbelly, that wiggle room, that opportunity to sleight of hand uh, is in the SPS chapters. And so the fact that USMCA has that new, improved, is yet another opportunity we have. It's a very important tool in the toolbox. So we're going to get there. The EU, I, uh, I am one that wants to advocate and have been advocating that we try and try and try again to work with them. But as you know, it takes two to tango. And so far, we're getting the old Heisman football forearm saying no. And I, I uh, unfortunately, it's, it's, it's um, uh, I, I believe the precautionary principle has a stranglehold on Europe, and I don't see it letting go. So it is not a pleasant time right now, but that doesn't mean that you stop because there is so much more that binds that continent and the U.S. that we cannot forget. But I'm also very supportive and have been advocating as much with Congress and the administration and others that uh, we better have ag in the deal, and I, I'm hearing that echoed back, so I think we're in good stead there that if there's going to be a deal, ag has to be a part of that. All right, folks, well, that does it for today's episode. Be sure to check out past episodes at agnewsdaily.com. You can always interact with us on social media. Just search for Ag News Daily, and we'll be there. And uh, I'll be back tomorrow. Delaney's still on the road, but uh, I'll be holding down the fort one more day, and then next week we'll have the full team on board again, and we'll uh, keep bringing high-quality ag information right to your ear holes. In the meantime, folks, I'm going to let you go.